thought he was the one. We all thought he was the one. Everyone did. There was a party, and we were all, we were all there, and, and some woman comes in, and she has a bottle of perfume, expensive perfume, and she just pours it all over him. She did that because she thought he was the one. What a waste. We could have sold that perfume and used the money for a greater purpose. I tried to tell him as much. But he came back at me insinuating that he was the purpose. Even so, I believed he was the one. I believed that he was going to turn everything upside down. I, I, I just, I just knew it. I mean, people would have followed him anywhere. All he had to do was just say the word, but he wouldn't say the word. Instead, he, my time has not yet come. That's what he would say over and over to me. My time has not yet come. Are you kidding me? He was raising people from the dead for crying out loud. He was healing the blind, producing food out of thin air. My time has not yet come. So I forced his hand. I made his time come. Things needed to push. And I was the only one that had the courage to do it. We were all up there eating. We were all up there. He looks across the table to me and he says, get on with it. How, how did he know what I was going to do? It wasn't about the money. It was not about the money. It's just when you have that kind of power that he has, why wouldn't you leverage it to forward, to forward the agenda? People listen to him. You know the sound a wave makes after it hits the shore? And how quiet it gets after a few seconds when it stops? That was Jesus. When he spoke, it was like a, a rolling wave. And the crowds listening, they were the hush at the end of the wave. Because when he spoke, and you were there in his presence, there was no doubt in anyone's mind, he was the one. What have I done? 
How could someone who had front row seats to Jesus' life, to the teachings of Jesus for three years, end up missing that opportunity to remain faithful to the very end and instead betray Jesus, hand Jesus over like Judas did? He had great expectations, great expectations of Jesus. Now, while it's challenging to identify the actual moment that was the tipping point for Judas to become the greatest missed opportunity, perhaps in all history, we do see a smattering of snapshots along Judas's life and allows us to sort of piece together what went wrong, together a view of the Messiah that where the kingdom was upside down compared to what Jesus had in mind, Judas's opportunities or Judas's expectations, sorry, were so misguided. We can only speculate what, what Judas did or what motivated Judas to do his act of betrayal when actually, like him and the other 11, they were so close to Jesus. Was it that Jesus was increasingly speaking about his intimate death and so Judas could see it coming to an end anyway and he just wanted to push his hand? Was it that Judas was the opinion that the promised Messiah was meant to be a warrior who would rid them of the Roman occupation. And so he was a little bit disappointed by this man who seemed to have it all, but he's a bit too gentle. He hated no one. He harbored no feelings of anger or violence. Judas came um, from a lineage of freedom fighters that valued the Jewish heritage in zealous ways. And he desired to see the freedom of Israel restored. And like many Jews, he was looking for a Messiah he was looking for someone that would turn things right side up after the oppressive Romans had sort of turned life in Israel upside down. So Judas had these great expectations of a Messiah who would restore the kingdom of Israel to the way it should be. And the miracles and teachings that he witnessed as he walked closely with Jesus, this, this made this carpenter from Nazareth a serious candidate. He just might be the one who would save them, the one they had been waiting for, the one they had been expecting. Perhaps Jesus, Jesus could bring freedom and new hope. I mean, nobody Judas had ever seen or heard before said things quite like Jesus did. Nobody could draw a crowd like Jesus. Nobody could demonstrate the kind of power that Jesus could in healing people, in making the blind to see, in raising people from the dead. As the crowds grew to hear and see what Jesus would do next, Judas was there to witness Jesus take things and make them amazing. He took the lunch, you would remember, of a small boy and fed over 5,000 men and women and children on top of that. Judas was one of the 12 passing around the, the fish sandwiches that day. He saw all the pieces left over. He saw everything that pointed to the promised one the one who could lead a revolution, who would conquer Rome and restore glory to Israel to its rightful place. John tells us in John chapter 6, when the people saw the sign that he had done, this miracle of feeding the 5,000, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I wonder if Judas stood there in the middle of his great expectations and thought to himself, what are you doing, Jesus? This moment is ripe for revolution. You're blowing it. 
These people want to make you their king and you're just slipping out the back door. How could you make such a huge mistake? How could you miss the opportunity to harness this huge following? And maybe Judas, as he was going to sleep that night, was shaking his head in disbelief, thinking what might have been if only Jesus did it right, did it his way. And a few more chapters into John's gospel could be another moment that chipped away at these great expectations of Jesus to be the Messiah that Judas had. Phil shared this scripture with us a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just going to read you a few verses to remind you of it this morning. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Judas's mentality of, of this mighty Messiah continues to be turned upside down with disappointment. And now Jesus is here calling him out in front of all his friends. We see that John, who writes this gospel, we see he lets the reader know that, that what none of them actually knew at the time. You know, hindsight's great, isn't it? They didn't know that Judas was a thief and that he was stealing from the treasury bag that he'd been put in charge of. On the outside, Judas made, made it look like he cared for the poor. When the, vast, when the ointment was, was poured on the woman's leg, he was in, oh, sorry, on Jesus' feet, he was indignant. But inside, what he saw was money slipping through the cracks in the floor that could have been his to exploit. Jesus saw it and shut it down and Judas was left humiliated. We see what he did soon afterwards. Matthew records this in his gospel. It says, Then one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Perhaps the final snapshot or the final one I want to look at this morning would be the Passover meal. Judas would make his move after this meal or really before the end of this meal to seal his fate, leading to eternal regret rather than an opportunity of repentance. Jesus demonstrates here love to the one who would stab him in the back with a kiss on the cheek. Check out the interaction in this story between Judas and Jesus. It's found in John chapter 13. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of who he was speaking. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Who is it? Jesus answered, It is to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. 
Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Jesus scoops the bread with a topping of either meat or oils for dipping and he gave it to Judas. This, this would have been viewed as an intimate sign, a sign of friendship, a sign of relationship, a request or a, a sign of respect from the host to Judas. Perhaps in this gesture, Judas was reaching out, Jesus was reaching out to Judas and saying, Judas, it's not too late. Judas, I'm still here and I'm still your friend. I'm still the one who loves you. Perhaps it was giving him an opportunity to repent. But no, Judas crossed over the line of returning when he went from this room full of lightness, full of, full of his friends, full of the love that he'd witnessed and into the night. Now, I think we take for granted that Judas was the betrayer because we've read it through scripture over and over again. But don't miss the fact the disciples all around him had no sense that this betrayal was going to happen by Judas. While the gospel writers had the benefit of hindsight and they take Judas as a traitor, at the moment, Judas was good at hiding his true intentions. He was good at hiding his motives. He was good at acting religious and sincere and doing the right thing amongst the 12. Perhaps there's a little bit of Judas in all of us who claim to follow Jesus if we take time this morning to examine our hearts. We can only wonder what might have happened had Jesus, Judas sealed the moment or seized the moment to accept who Jesus was, to accept his forgiveness, to accept salvation. How might things have turned around for Judas if he'd reached out and asked for help to overcome this strong desire to do the wrong? But he, he could not shift his great expectations of the true Messiah. He could not make the most of forgiveness offered at the table. And we know the severity of Judas' choice to betray Jesus. Judas knew Jesus would make his way to the Garden of Gethsemane after dinner, as was his custom. And this would be a great moment. Jesus would be vulnerable and he would be able to be arrested and seized by the authorities. In fact, to make sure it happened in that moment, Judas left early and he went and interrupted the Jewish leaders' Passover meal to gather them before the, the, that window of opportunity had closed. It says in Matthew 26, 47 to 50, while he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man seize him and he came up to Jesus at once and said greetings rabbi and he kissed him Jesus said to him friend do what you came to do then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him and as we heard this morning from our reading reading Judas would soon come to realize come to his senses and realize that what he'd done was wrong he was filled with regret with seller's remorse if you like and so Matthew continues, Then Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Such a sad 
and morbid ending to the one who held so much promise when he was called to be a follower of Jesus. But Judas just could not get that right perspective. He could not see the proper expectations of who Jesus was as the true Messiah. Jesus wouldn't do things his way. Jesus was one of the closest people to Jesus in that time that he walked on earth. Think about his incredible privileges. He had front row seats for Jesus' teaching, for his miracles. He saw Lazarus rise to the dead, rise from the dead and spoke to him afterwards. He had front row seats for Jesus' teaching. He heard that incredible sermon on the mount where Jesus explained that things were not as they seemed. He was discipled by Jesus in teachings as they walked and talked. He was given authority by Jesus to teach and to perform miracles. Judas' ministry as a disciple was so consistent with the others that when Jesus said one of them would betray him, they didn't know which one it would be. No one looked at Judas and said, oh, well, we know it's you. You're the odd one out. You couldn't preach your way out of a brown paper bag. You've never healed anyone. We've had our eyes on you this whole time. No. To the contrary, Judas was given the really important job of treasurer, looking after their money that they needed for their ministry. This wasn't a position that you gave to someone who you did not trust. Day in and day out for three years, can you imagine? He lived with Jesus, the Son of God. And it's not like they were staying at the Novotel or something and had separate rooms each night. They were there in close proximity. They would eat together. They would sleep outside together. They were preparing meals together, walking during the days. You know, the great conversations you have when you walk with someone. This was going on day in, day out. They saw each other tired, hungry, sick, the normal stuff of human experience. You get to know people when you travel with them. You get to know people when you live with them. Judas had that up close and personal privilege for three years. But Judas was a spiritual opportunist. He was with Jesus while it was good. But when he became delusioned, he saw Jesus as merely just someone to profit from. Judas was in it for what he could get from it. He wanted the benefits of being with Jesus, but he didn't really believe in him. He didn't believe that he had the best plan for them. Judas is exhibit A, if you like, of what spiritual hypocrisy or, or pretension looks like. And we see it all the time, don't we? People jump on the Jesus bandwagon. They like the vibe. They like the sense of things. They like the way church is at the moment. They like being admired. They like being spiritual. But all the while, they don't truly love Jesus. They love what comes with Jesus. And sometimes I have to ask myself, am I also a spiritual opportunist? Am I one of them? And I invite you to allow God to ask you that question this morning of your own life. Do you truly love Jesus? Do you truly trust Jesus? Because we see here in Judas's life the, the possibility of doing great things for Jesus without actually having a saving relationship with him. That's the scary reality. You can be around the real thing, but not have the real thing. You can, you can know about it and talk about it, give the appearance of it, but not actually have it. Nearness to Jesus doesn't ensure life changes from the inside out. We can walk with Jesus and not have our life turned right side up as God intended. Just because someone associates with Jesus doesn't mean that that person's life 
has been changed by salvation from Jesus, the salvation that he came to bring. Don't be like Judas. Today, sit before God. I invite you to humble yourself, to acknowledge his salvation, to, to receive his salvation and to allow it to change you completely. This morning, we're going to remember that Jesus has done all it takes to change us completely. Jesus gave of himself all that was needed for us to be saved. His body bruised for us. His blood spilt for us. And we can embrace that opportunity to be forgiven and to be freed on Jesus' terms, on Jesus' expectations, not our own. At the Last Supper, Jesus reinterpreted a time of remembrance. He took that bread and the wine and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. Remember this. Remember that when I'm not here in person. My blood was spilled for you. My body was broken for you. I love you. I have a way. Follow me. Jesus invites us to remember that with every meal that we share. But this morning on this special day, we're going to remember it all together. And as we this morning think about it, I want us to think about it in terms of Jesus, I'm doing it your way. I'm letting go of my own expectations. I'm letting go of the own, my own way of trying to bring about the world, of trying to bring about salvation, of trying to bring about the best way. And I'm going to do it your way, Jesus. I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to trust you. In a moment, we're going to sing and reflect on a song and Louise is going to play for us now. And the words say, Oh, the cross of Jesus Christ is the reason I'm alive for his blood has set me free it will never lose its power for me I was going to say we come here every Good Friday but we didn't come here last Good Friday and I hope that renewed something a bit special in you today as you got to come again this year may his blood may his sacrifice may his life never lose its power in your life so as you came in hopefully you took one of these little cups. If you didn't, the music's going to play for a few moments and you could duck out and get one. They were on the, um, the bench. And if you'd like to participate in this now, then we have the opportunity to do that. And the um, top segment, there's a top little thing that you can peel off and there's a little wafer. And then after we've taken that, you can peel off the bottom section and there's juice. COVID safe remembrance. So if you'd like to respond to him this morning, if you'd like to say, God... Yes, I remember your gift today. I remember your example and I thank you for it. Then I invite you to participate. Let's remember and thank him for his gift of salvation. I'm going to pray and then we'll do that. God, we're humbled by your sacrifice. Thank you for the most amazing gift. Thank you for the torn curtain, the symbol of reconciliation with you. Thank you for the open invitation to approach you, to come before your throne of grace. Help us today to respond to that invitation, not with our own great expectations, but with the promise that you've given us, that you have saved us once and for all. We thank you for your blood spilt and your body broken for us. Amen. So I invite you to take off the, the top bit and, and to take the wafer. In Luke 22, it says, And he took bread, 
gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. to open it up to the juice part. And it says in verse 20, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join with us in declaring that his blood, his body broken, will never lose its power for you as the ensemble helps us.